Isn't it enough to see that a garden is beautiful without having to believe that there are fairies at the bottom of it? Isn't it enough simply to embrace the void? I find this void quite calming, actually. It's like, this time the Xanax took me. Your sense of self is crumbling and it's taking the void down with it. It's like I'm in a black void, trying to reach the news story. This concept of morality is a very interesting human characteristic. What is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see. Warning, this podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like they're people. Welcome, friends, to episode 132 of Embrace the Void, where we are trustworthy, loyal, helpful, but definitely not reverent. I am your host, Aaron, and my guest this week is out there doing the Void's work and took a little time to come discuss atheist community organizing, so let's do some heresies. My guest this week is Nick Fish, the president of American Atheists and a longtime activist and organizer on projects like Atheist Voter. He represented American Atheists on such voidy locales as Hannity and Fox and Friends, where he almost certainly has seen some shit. So, Nick, would you like to say hi to the void? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, really great to be on, and it, uh, I think, certainly beats uh, being on Fox News uh, and staring into the void, as you put it, uh, uh, on that particular program. So, <laughs> yes. What was it like being on that particular abyss? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny to uh, think about the the look, uh, the absolute look of confusion and just processing uh, going on in Brian Kilmeade's eyes as you try to explain what it means not to be religious to him. Um, you know, the the thing that is is always interesting that people have to keep in mind is that on a lot of these programs, people were playing characters for years. Um, you know, Bill O'Reilly for all of his faults. Uh, you know, I, I don't think had drank the Kool Aid. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't didn't buy what he was selling himself. Uh, but the people that are on there now are are true believers. Are, are people who really believe what they're saying. This sort of conspiracy minded uh, approach to everything. Uh, you know, it's really turned into. A, a bit of a cult, which mm-hmm. is uh, really devastating for, you know, the, fab- the fabric of American society and and American politics. And so, you know, when I was on there talking about how atheists do Christmas, um, they they mm-hmm. just some of them couldn't fathom uh, what I was talking about. And and you know, I ended up I ended up with at least one invitation to uh, to to church on Christmas uh, on Christmas Eve, which was both kind and a little strange. Um, Mm -hmm. And I kind of had to (laughs) say that I didn't think my, uh, my parents would be okay with me sticking around New York uh, and and missing uh, our family's get togethers around that time. Because in fact, most atheists do uh, at least some of the cultural stuff around Christmas, um, even if we don't celebrate the religious components of it and that Mm -hmm. that's okay. Um, That was sort of the core of the message that we were putting out with that campaign. Uh, But they were just utterly baffled uh, that you could enjoy the holiday season, uh, you could enjoy mm-hmm. Christmas without the religious component. It was just, it, they, they were stunned. And, you know, Brian Kilmeade and Steve Ducey are 
um, both disingenuous and, um, you know, not not the sharpest tools in the shed uh, on a lot of issues. And this was certainly one of them where they just seemed, you know, <laughs> so confused and right. just, you know, giant pools of confusion in their eyes uh, were was certainly funny to see. Yes. I mean, I've been to church on Christmas and just in case you were curious, nothing special happens. It's not like that. Yeah, that's the day where do you, like, like <laughs> angels fly around or something. Yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's just like singing like, and why? everyone's a little bit colder is pretty right. much. The like, whole. Why, why would you, why would you save this only for this one day? If uh, <laughs> Jesus uh, was going to come back or, or you were going to bring out the angels, you might as well do that uh, every time. It would certainly help retention right. rates. Uh, right. Don't just save it for that one day. <laughs> yes. But yes, it does definitely seem like they are, deep into culty and not in the fun quirky kind of way that we like yeah. here yeah so, not at all yeah so let me talk a little bit about your background um before we get to discussing american atheists um in particular i noticed that there were some weird synchronicities actually between your life experiences and my life experiences so first of all we both were in the boy scouts and we both were in the boy scouts while being secular individuals who were sometimes mm -hmm. made uncomfortable as far as i can tell by the the not sure. secular aspects of that um I mean, i'm curious first of all do you feel like you got valuable things out of being in the scouts yeah, it's one of the frustrations that I have with the direction that they've gone in. And and uh, I guess I'm sort of heartened that they've changed course on a few issues. Um, but I, I do think there was a lot of value to that program. And I've for years said, uh, you know, it was ju just an, an injustice of immense proportion that, number one, they excluded, you know, gay scouts that were being bullied, you know, being ostracized in their communities, people who wanted nothing more than to escape the uh, sometimes hell of their day-to-day -day lives at, at at their schools where they're being subjected to bullying and, um, mm. you know, maybe don't have um, friends in or as many friends as they would want or aren't, aren't finding the, the their home environment is supportive. Uh, and these are kids that would, you know, benefit from having peers their own age that care about, you know, going out into the, into the woods and learning about ecology and learning about, um, you know, tying knots and, and mm -hmm. hiking and first aid and leadership development and just a peer group that they could lean on. That was the most important thing for me that I, that I took away from my time in the scouts, uh, was that type of, of skill development and working with peers and leadership mm -hmm. and, and all of that. And a population of people who are, ostracized, especially, you know, thinking back uh, to the late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, we, we mm -hmm. how soon we forget uh, just how difficult the experience was for, uh, for, for LGBT folks in the United States just 20 years ago. You know, the Lawrence v. Texas case that decriminalized sodomy wasn't until 2002. You know, so this is, this mm -hmm. is, this is very recent history, this animus, this just, you know, stark, mistreatment of millions of Americans at the hands of uh, religious groups and, and, and society writ large. And the Boy Scouts of America played into that. Um, and, it's, and it was interesting, especially on the religious side of things and the discriminatory side of things, because where I was from, um, religion was never really a big component of the scouting experience. My troop was chartered through a public school. Um, we actually had um, scouts um, that were associated with a lot of the activities that I did and some of the uh, area-wide uh, activities like the National Scout Jamboree and the leadership training and all of that. Um, there were multiple scouts who were gay and it was not a big deal. Nobody cared until someone higher up found out about it and forced them out. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, one scout that I knew that was a, a really great person uh, was openly gay, never had any, you know, no one cared, as I said, in, in our troops. Um, I think when he was 17 or 18, uh, committed suicide uh, because of the uh, bullying and the uh, hostility that he experienced um, in his uh, in his hometown and in his school. Um, and I'm sure that some of that contributed in the scouts as well, um, because, uh, you know, I'm sure there were people that 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 weren't OK with it and and were hostile. Um, sure. But, you know, he was he was part of a, a leadership training group that we had put together for youth leadership training and, and you know, was part of that. And, right. you know, and so the, like people were accepting and it was only when the religious groups and especially the you know, the Mormon church was really getting their hooks into uh, the Boy Scouts of America that that things really turned and uh, turned in a really negative direction. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I remember being stunned and, and horrified uh, when when I was at summer camp one year, the Supreme Court ruling uh, came down uh, saying that uh, the Boy Scouts could discriminate um, and people were celebrating that. And, you know, we're joking about getting T-shirts printed that said uh, five to four or six to three or whatever the Supreme Court's vote was on that case, um, getting that printed on there um, as sort of a, you know, fuck you to all the the, the gay scouts out there. Um, mm-hmm. And that was that was really troubling because it, again, was really discordant with with my experiences and and the the way that my friends and the, the people that I knew and my troop conducted themselves and, you know, the way that we approach scouting was very different from this exclusionary vision uh, of the program. Um, and so, you know, I, I, where were you, where were you in the scouts? What, uh, what like city, what was like kind of the locality and the, the the type of organization that you were with? Yeah, I was, um, in the suburbs of Richmond, Virginia when I was Mm. growing up. And so I did scouting. It was almost always in church basements of various sorts, right. And, or associated with a church in some kind of way. Um, and we had an interesting situation because uh, the first scout troop that we were in, my my mother was the um, person who went with me to scouting because my father is Jewish and does not mm. camp, um, whereas my mother <laughs> is a Gentile and therefore camps. Um, and so, like, she would take me to those things. And the first group we were in, both the male scout leaders and their wives were very unhappy about that situation, mm. having a female scout master going out. So we ended up having to switch to a different group. Uh, which was slightly more tolerant of the issue, um, a little better about it. And I did that up until I got Eagle, and then we switched to Venture, which is the co-ed higher adventure. Boy Scouts, I'm sure you're familiar, but for folks who aren't. And that was excellent. And so that that actually brings me to another question. Like You pointed out that people were kind of celebrating the chance to be cruel in these various kinds of ways. And one of the things that I think is a, a mixed bag with the Scouts is that it is male only and tends to be a little kind of machismo sort of boy centric in some ways and like it was generally treated as you know we're different than the girl scouts in these kinds of ways and those things are important and i wonder what you think about you know if if we're going to salvage the scouts post bankruptcy and all post moral bankruptcy um are we looking at not just like lgbtq but also should this be an organization where there are sort of mixed gender um, scout troops from the beginning rather than when you get to 14 or 15 or something like that? And maybe you could also have, you know, groups where 
if people really only want to have only boys or really only have want to have only girls, then you could have that option. But I'm curious what you think about those kinds of trade-offs. Yeah, you know it's it's challenging, right? Because I understand and I I'm sympathetic to the idea that um, it's easier, and I, I that's a different question than if it's better. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's sometimes easier to deal with and, and address the questions or the concerns of uh, you know one subgroup of all youth, right? Mm-hmm. And it, and you can have some some training or some experience in, in handling that. But just because it's easier doesn't mean it's better. And I don't know that it's, you know, there aren't many other spaces in life where people are segregated in that way. Um, and does that type of segregation of of this of the sexes contribute to uh, the types of attitudes you were talking about, that that machismo, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're better because we, you know, we're, we're the boys, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, boys rule, girls drool sort of thing, which which was endemic in the scouts. Um, and is really unfortunate um, and contributes to that uh, that type of attitude moving forward. I, I will say that um, my understanding is that they have taken steps toward integrating the scouts uh, along gender lines earlier. I don't know if it goes all the way back to mm-hmm. you know the the first instance. So going all the way back to you know like yeah. age twelve, I think is when uh, boy scouting or, or, you know, what we experienced as boy scouting. I think that's when it kind of started. If I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, um, you know, it it is for mixed reasons. I'll point out part of the reason that they're doing that is because they're having trouble recruiting. Recruiting, Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's not some like moral calling that they've like, Oh no, it's, it's, Oh crap. We're, we're really running low on money here and we Mm want to make sure that we're, um, bringing as many people in, which, you know, Hey, listen, if, if that, I don't want to call it profit motive, but that survival motive of bringing in as many people as possible is what gets them to eventually pull their heads out of their ass and do the right thing on, you know, it's what happened with LGBT scouts and now it's what happened with girls. Now they need to do the same thing with non-religious and atheist scouts because uh, they're, again, leaving a quarter of Americans uh, mm-hmm. or more when you talk about younger folks. Uh, mm-hmm. They're leaving them behind. Uh, so, you know, let's let's figure this out, guys, and uh, do the right thing for everybody. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that's part of that, that, that journey to um, back into the back into the light, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Because again, I, I think that there are valuable things that I got out of scouting that extended far beyond, you know, the, the that had nothing to do with it being sex segregated or, or being, uh, you know, quote unquote, Christian values. Because on, on the second part, it wasn't part of my experience. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. even in scouting, I, I can count on one hand the number of explicitly religious services or you know events that I went to, oh, um, and it was yeah. almost always in the context of you know where some other uh, higher up entity or higher up uh, organizing group was, was leading the charge. It was never when it was you know my local troop or my local council. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody cared, mm-hmm. you know. It was when we, the, the extent that we did religious stuff. It was they called it um, chapel, I think, mm-hmm. and it it was there was no Jesusy anything. There was no Christian anything. We went to great pains to make sure that it wasn't uh, that style of religion. It was much more that kind of naturalistic, deistic. 
approach to things of wow look at the the splendor of the of the creation around us and right. you know yeah looking back it's like oh, well they could have done that better you know there's certainly more inclusive language that they could use but there was no or very little exclusionary language there was no um our father style things and in fact whenever um anybody did that kind of or used that kind of language or used or did that kind of religious uh explicitly religious treatment of things um there were a, a lot of collective eye rolls uh mm -hmm. that would go on and and oftentimes that person uh it, again it was my experience that person would usually not be asked to lead another chapel or another uh scout vespers i think is what they called it right um, that person would actually be asked not to do it because we wanted to include everybody uh you know jews and gentile <laughs> can i tell you my favorite uh, in, my favorite jesus in, in scout story yeah actually. go <laughs> no just the way you describe it like it reminds me of one of my favorite ones which was actually with venture scouts and it was like a, a really great caving trip in in mm -hmm. virginia and we were like down deep in the mine right like yeah. um and they did the thing where we all turn the lights off and it gets very 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 dark yeah um and then they do the this is the world without Jesus. Oh my God. <laughs> you could feel in total darkness. You could feel every single person just yeah. tighten up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. So funny. yeah. And like I said, we, we never had anything like that. And I, and you know, finding out after the fact, just how widespread uh, mm -hmm. the type of religious intolerance that, that was pervasive in the scouts was, was just stunning to me because it was uh, not my experience at all. Um, which is why I think that you can look back and say, okay, here's here's like the valuable part of this program. Um, and clearly, many of us got a lot out of it um, because uh, we had this experience that is that was 95% secular. And anytime that that 5% that religion intruded, there was there was a collective eye roll. And everyone said, you know, we just want to get back to, you know, building campfires and, and learning about uh, leadership development and uh, going fishing and stuff. Uh, and I think there's nothing wrong with that type of program. And I think that there's, there is something important about teaching people values um, and, and, and having conversations about values. And again, given the fact that, that the experience that some large percentage of scouts have is not uh, framed in that re explicitly religious or explicitly Christian way, um, I, I think that you're not losing anything by taking that out of there and saying, all right, let's talk about different uh, moral philosophies and different ethical systems and let's mm -hmm. talk about religion. I, I, I think that there's nothing wrong with having those conversations and, you know, and, and talking about uh, the pluralism of this country um, and, and celebrating that and saying, you know, there are people who believe this, there are people who believe that. Let's find the commonalities and let's find the differences. And here's where we all agree on this stuff. And, and mm -hmm. um, I think that, that that would be really valuable. And that would be something that people would want for their kids. And it's something that looking at, for example, the, the great work that the folks at Camp Quest do, mm -hmm. you know, they talk about critical thinking and they talk about respect and they talk about, you know, learning about consent and how each individual um, is able to control them, their own bodies and their own minds and think and, you know, be independent. And that's really important. Uh, and they do just a wonderful job and they do it in a secular context. It shows that just how easy it is to do uh, mm -hmm. or just how accessible it should be. Uh, I don't want to pretend that it's 
you know, a cakewalk all the time. I know that they have their own struggles and their own difficulties in managing, you know, 60, 80, 100 kids. Uh, it can be really challenging. But, you know, I've been to Camp Quest in, in Southern California uh, and mm -hmm. spent some time with them. And they managed to do a, um, you know, integrated gender, broad range of ages, secular uh, version of the types of things that I really enjoyed in scouting. And they do it really well. Um, and so mm -hmm. I think it's completely doable. And if the scouts just, you know, got off their high horse, understood that the world was changing around them, but also that this is the type of, these are the types of values that have always been uh, in the people who were in scouts. I don't want to say that it's, you know, central mm -hmm. to uh, the corporation of scouting's uh, values to the extent that they exist. Um, mm -hmm. that, but there are people in scouting that, that, live these values every single day. And if they just stopped pushing those people away, um, they they would have a, a, a really easy time putting together this type of programming um, that's yeah. inclusive rather than exclusive and welcoming rather than exclusionary, because you just, you don't, you don't need to look any further than the people who are leading Camp Quest and leading these other secular summer camp um, style organizations to see, oh, there's an Eagle Scout, there's an Eagle Scout, there's another Eagle Scout, you know, <laughs> like these are right. people who, were brought up in this who, you know, maybe I think the majority of them didn't have a, a deconversion four years ago. They maybe were never religious or they always had doubts um, or they were always, uh, they always knew who they were and didn't have a problem. And so, um, you know, you and I, uh, Eagle Scouts, you know, I, I think that we would probably do just fine in, in helping them move in the right direction. Uh, you know, and I don't know your thoughts on um, what the Scouts, uh, you know, are right now. And if there is a place for them in this world, I, I hope there is, I think there is, but they have to do the work right? And, and pull their heads out of their asses. I mean, I think you make a really good point that one thing I always lament is the lack of sort of ethical education at below college level and that these kinds of organizations can be really great places to habituate various kinds of virtues. Right. And I think I think you're really spot on that. I, I, we we love campquest.org on this particular show, and so I appreciate the the extended um, shout out to them as an organization <laughs> that is providing that without any yeah. of the trappings, right? Without even having to like throw a curtain over the Jesus when you um when you have meetings, um, right? So yeah, I I, I love CampQuest. Um, Kim Newton, their executive director, and. Uh, uh, Neil Polzin, the chair of their board, very good friends with. I actually just saw them a couple weeks ago in D.C. Uh, for a, nice. a secular coalition members meeting. Uh, one of the things that we at American Atheists do that's real that I think is really valuable is we have a policy in place where if people want to volunteer their time with, you know, 501c3, they can do that. And we uh, they don't have to take vacation time to do that. Uh, but for a selected group of our partners within the secular community, the um, Camp Quest included, uh, we extend that to five days. So they can basically take an entire week to go work uh, and, and give back to our community wow. and, you know, take part in that. And it's not just good for building relationships and and building our own community. It's, it's good for us. It's good for mm -hmm. our employees. It's good for our staff to have an opportunity to get involved in that way. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's a really valuable thing that we can all give back, um, not just by donating money, but by donating time because we don't, <laughs> we work at a nonprofit. Uh, donating money is sometimes challenging. So uh, time Fair is, enough. you know, much more valuable. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's talk some about movement atheism then a little bit. Let's get away from the scouts. Um, do you, 
sort of, I guess, let me first ask, um, what attracted you to working in the atheist community in particular, as opposed to, you know, uh, the other things that you identify with or that you think are important in the world? Yeah, you know, I started out working in politics. Um, mm -hmm. My first uh, real exposure to activism and organizing was the 2008 election um, where I worked. Yep. Where I worked in. Community, I worked in uh, you yeah. said you were in North Carolina, right? I was in Raleigh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, where yeah. were you at? I was in Richmond, um, oh, which is, I guess, slightly less harrowing than I imagine maybe Raleigh was. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I know a lot of people in Richmond. It, it can be a little bit spicy sometimes. It was a little, it was a little <laughs> dicey, but it was okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had, we had people calling our office, um, you know, threatening us and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, using racist language and, and threats to us. And um, I had some of my, my staff were detained by police officers because they were knocking on doors and mm. they were black and they were young men. And, you know, uh, the, the, and having to go out there and, and they say, you know, well, this person isn't identifying himself. And I said, well, officer, is this a state where you're legally required to identify yourself uh, if you're not being detained? And they were, they said, well, no, but he, <laughs> refused to identify himself. Oh, and I said, and is that, and so are you detaining him? And they said, well, no, of course not. And I said, well, then is he free to go? And they said, well, mm, you know, hemming and hawing. And I said, I, the thing I remember saying to them was, you know, this is the strangest, uh, this would be the strangest uh, vehicle for uh, committing robberies I'd ever heard because that was their excuse, right? Is, well, we, we saw someone knocking on doors and there have been reports of robberies. And I said, so you're, you think that someone in the middle of the day carrying around bundles of door hangers that say vote for Barack Obama, Kay Hagan and Bev Perdue uh, and having a list uh, with sets of questions about how people are voting and what issues they care about uh, and, and nothing else and no car nearby because we had dropped people off on turf uh, mm -hmm. and we were you know, walking blocks and blocks and blocks to knock on you know, 100 doors a day. Um, you think that this person is robbing people. And they said, well, maybe <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> this is, this would be the dumbest way to possibly uh, conduct a robbery. Uh, yeah. If you, and, and you guys are doing some really crack police work. Uh, if you think this is how robbers comport themselves, um, you know, and I, I filed a complaint and we, uh, we got a, a letter back basically saying, well, just make sure your people, carry id and it was like well <laughs> okay whatever R whatever raleigh police jesus uh, yeah and you know one of the other groups that we worked with was the aclu and it was funny to see uh to drop that into conversation with police that were harassing our our canvassers and mm -hmm. um so oh, yeah yeah we you know we work with a variety of groups including you know uh, environmental groups and the aclu and blah 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 and they immediately go, oh, that's great. Well, have a great rest of your day. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so, but, you know, that was the kind of thing that we were dealing with is we had, you know, young, excited organizers, um, many of them younger men of color going around knocking on doors to turn out the vote and to, you know, make sure that we knew who our voters were. And we were getting harassed by police and we were getting uh, harassed by you know, generally racist other folks as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that was that was a, a trial by fire, certainly. And um, you basically have two, three months to spin up an entire operation of, you know, 50 to 60 staff and, and try to knock on tens of thousands of doors in underrepresented neighborhoods that the campaign itself wasn't knocking on so that we weren't duplicating efforts and just, you know, 
trying mm-hmm. to get as many people out there as possible. What were and your we had, um, what were your big picture sort of organizing takeaways from those experiences? Besides, uh, know, know the law really well, obviously. Yeah, know, know the law. Uh, I, I, the, the single most important thing that I learned in that is just how frenetic a pace everything moves when you have a firm deadline like that. And that there's a big difference mm-hmm. between community organizing and election organizing. Mm-hmm. Because with elections, you have a, a finite goal, right? You have a, a deadline that, you know, you obviously want to do capacity building, but you also, you want to win. And that that specific concrete goal is distinct and very different from the types of capacity building community building organizing that other folks do day in and day out and that takes you know weeks months years of investment of time and effort um and relationship building and is that how you see like atheist organizations generally? yeah it, it, and so it's 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 difficult to say or it's difficult to to directly translate some of the skills that you learn in election work to building long-term power and capacity because you know when we're talking about when when there was so much excitement about uh barack obama in 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 certain communities um and in certain geographic locations uh and within certain movements there there was it was kind of a um example of uh, you know if, if you if you build it they will come um mm-hmm. as long as as long as the you're you're getting the word out people are going to knocking down your door uh, to want to work on it, um, even if it's just for, you know, their spare time and, you know, maybe they want to volunteer, you know, a, a ton, but maybe they only have a little bit of time. That's a different thing than building the long-term capacity that um, we need in the atheist community um, to be more effective uh, advocates, to be more effective community uh, leaders, and to be more effective at meeting the needs of the people who we represent. And so, you know, the thing that I took away was that I didn't actually take away that much uh, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, like looking back on it now. Uh, in the moment, I certainly took away the idea that, um, you know, all of this stuff just takes time and sweat equity and to never take staff and people for granted mm-hmm. and to be very clear on what your expectations are and what your goals are and to uh, get out there and, and do what you're asking other people to do, especially if you're uh, leading an office or you're leading a campaign or you're leading anything, you know, be the type of person that's going to get out there and knock on doors too. Mm-hmm. be the, be the person that's going to do the, 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 the sweaty, unpleasant uh, work that has to be done. Um, because if, if you're not like, what are you even there for? Um, mm-hmm. If you're not willing to lead by example uh, and, and again, really put in that equity, sweat equity, nobody's going to follow that. Fair enough. So let me, I want to I switch over to talking about atheism some um, more directly. And I'm curious, first of all, for folks who maybe, you know, listen to the show, uh, maybe are atheists, but maybe aren't really tapped into the atheist community that like, you know, if I'm very late to the atheist game, if I've just woken up from a coma and I want to catch up, how would you sort of summarize quickly sort of the last five or 10 years of movement atheism? What do you think are the key things that people you'd want someone to understand? Um, yeah, it's it, that's, it's a really great question, and uh, you know I don't know that it's um, as important to look at the last ten years. Let's say mm-hmm. um, I think it's really critical to look at what's happening right now. However, um, the, the, and this goes back to what you asked a, a moment ago about what drew me into atheist activism, and and the thing that it, that really pulled me in was looking at the areas of public policy in particular, because I, you know, that was where I started. That's what excited me was 
policy work uh, and issue advocacy, um, look look for the commonalities, right? Look mm-hmm. at what is driving the conversation, what is driving the energy, what is driving the the, the policy making for the other side. <laughs> uh, why? How are they justifying what they do? And I, you, know, you and I both came to I, I think our political awakening in, in a time when anti LGBT, um, anti gay marriage, particularly um, constitutional amendments, were used as a weapon. Um, to drive voter turnout in swing states and in conservative states for George W. Bush in 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we remember that really well. I, yeah. I, I remember um, <laughs> I remember attending a rally, you know, I think it was in 2003, in, in my small town in Michigan in support of uh, gay marriage. And that was like a huge deal. It was like front page news hmm. in, in my little small town. Uh, and just the amount of turnout that there was right then in support of gay marriage was stunning. Everybody was shocked. Uh, and then later, and then in 2004, Michigan voted by, you know, 65, 35 or something like that to, to, to amend the constitution to ban same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was, that was disheartening. That was the, the first time when I really saw how religion was weaponized. It's also the first time I wrote an op-ed that was published, which I, I thought was great. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, the, my, my activism uh, goes back and my uh, annoyance with the, the use of religion uh, as a weapon in this way goes back uh, quite some time. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that seeing that uh, coming, coming up in that, um, having that be the foundation of the, the political moment that, that we were steeped in um, as young people, as, you know, people just getting ready to vote and, and voting for the first time, even um, having that be the background of things. And, and you know, the, the other part of it was um, reproductive choice, you know, uh, mm-hmm. ac- access to abortion, access to health care at all, um, access to social services that were being uh, gutted um, uh, as being directly funded by the government or directly provided by governments and having those farmed out to religious groups that were then free to discriminate. Um, looking at info- the environment and people turning around and saying, well, we don't really have to do anything here because God's going to take care of it. Um, how can we possibly, like, how can we be so arrogant to think that our actions could change what God has created for us? I mean, th- yeah. this was literally what was being said in policy debates uh <laughs> I, I, sh- I shouldn't say what was being said. It is being said in some mm-hmm. cases in policy debates. And so I looked at the issues that most motivated me, and it was obviously LGBTQ uh, issues. It was uh, uh, the role of Christian nationalism, um, which even going all the way back to 2004, 8, 12, you know, before I, right as I was coming into the movement, that was already there. Um, these faith-based initiatives, the, this linking of Americanness to Christianity, anything like that, it was just, you know, turned my stomach. And I said, you know, what's the nexus of this? What, what is, what's bringing all of this together? And it just so happened that the Secular Coalition for America was hiring a uh, development uh, manager at the time. And this was, I guess, 2011, I think that's right. And on a whim, I sort of applied for that. And I said, that would be a really fun job because, you know, this would give me an opportunity to uh, not just work for nonprofits, but work for an issue that I care about. And, um, you know, on a personal level, uh, one of the things that annoyed me about working for party politics, because uh, I was working on mm-hmm. democratic issues at the time, was I was really excited to vote for 
Barack Obama and to work to elect Barack Obama because he said that he was going to get rid of faith-based initiatives and that he was going to get rid of warrantless wiretapping and drone strikes and, you know, rein in executive power. And he was a constitutional law professor who understood the the problems with this, uh, the overreach of the executive branch and the um, use of... Uh, uh, things that were infringing on our civil liberties uh, that I was really concerned about with the Bush administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he sort of continued doing many of the same things and legitimized it. Um, and people kind of hand waved it away by saying basically, well, it's okay because he's a good guy. And it's like, well, I agree. He's probably a good guy, but the next guy may not be a good guy. <laughs> so right. I, I have a hard time towing the company line on this. And so I want to work on you know, the purity, I guess, is the the, the unfortunate way to put it, <laughs> of an issue. I, I want to be able to advocate for an issue that I care about. And it just so happened that the Secular Coalition was adding staff and was adding capacity. Uh, and so I got that job. I, I applied and I moved from Texas to uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, over a weekend and got started there. And then in 2012, I moved to American Atheists and I've been here since. And mm-hmm. You know, that ability to drive a conversation on one issue, to really focus on one issue, um, really is what pulled me in. But what people need to know now is that nexus that I talked about um, that initially drew me in. The other side is being much more explicit about that. Um, They're Mm -hmm. doing some of the work for us, which is, on the one hand, kind of helpful, actually. Uh, They're pointing to all of the things that religion can do to, to... insulate people who want to discriminate from accountability and from the law. And they're saying, you know, here's how we go from point A to point Z, uh, how we can start with these innocuous seeming bills that, you know, put in God we trust on every flat surface owned by the government and then transition into recognizing the year of the Bible or the Christian Heritage Month or whatever they're going to call it, and then into the things that are more explicitly targeted at discriminating against other people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they they use each one of these to justify the next. So they start with, in God we trust, they say, well, it's already on the money. It's already, you know, it's it's, it's the national motto. Why could you, how could you dislike that? And then they uh, take the next thing and they say Christian Heritage Month, and they say, well, I mean, the national motto is in God we trust. I mean, look, it's on, it's hung up in all of our classrooms. How can you argue that this nation doesn't have a Christian heritage? And they use mm-hmm. the in God we trust stuff. They use the bunk, just literal bullshit histo- uh, historian, David Barton, to justify a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they, so then they pass that. And then they turn around and say, well, because religion is so important in this country and because this is a Christian nation, as evidenced by all these laws that we've just passed, uh, we really need to make sure that Christian rights are protected, that the Christian right to not serve a a gay person is protected, that the the right of a Christian doctor not to be forced to prescribe contraception that they believe causes an abortion, but doesn't, but they believe it. So who are we to question it? They need to be protected. And, you know, that's really frustrating. But on, but the opportunity is that they, they're saying it out loud. They're drawing that direct line from one to the other to the next uh, with this campaign that's called Project Blitz that we're working on, uh, fighting against with, with some really fantastic allies. But they've done that work for us. <laughs> so uh-huh. we're, we're, on the one hand, horrified. But on the other hand, we're sort of fortunate that they're just saying it out loud now instead of kind of winking and nudging about it. They're, they're 
just coming right out and saying, yes, we're, we're, we're doing all of this Ten Commandments on the public lawn, uh, in God we trust, we're doing this for the sole purpose of getting to this place where religious providers can discriminate against whoever they want. And that's so, our that's our plan. Okay, so it sounds like your atheism, your interest in atheism stems from a fairly progressive kind of personal background and that you see at least a current social connection between um, sort of regressive conservatism and religion on one side and sort of secular progressivism um, on the other side, which is good to hear. I Because when I announced that I was going to be going to um, American Atheist Convention out in Phoenix, I had somebody ask me on Twitter about how sort of the state of play of the organization in terms of the culture war that has touched upon atheism as it has come to every group um, and the concern about whether it was a particularly whether it was a regressive or a more progressive um, organization. And my understanding is that there has been some somewhat controversial turnover in the American atheist um, situa- organization a little bit. So I guess I was curious how you how you would address a question like that initially about American atheism. Does it have an explicit progressive agenda in some way? It's a hard question to answer. I mean, I think the individuals who are here, the individuals that are our volunteers, are driven in large part by a commitment to ensuring equality uh, under the law. And in in particular, a lot of these folks are really driven by you know the horror <laughs> uh, that, that that they see among uh, among our community for the discrimination that's been justified and couched in terms of of religion. Um, you know, the the thing that we always have to remind ourselves, though, is that not believing in God is not a partisan position, and that one of the most toxic things that's happened in American politics is the sorting of the parties along religious lines, mm-hmm. um, because there's nothing inherently religious about uh, having a, a, a disagreement about the role of government in people's lives or to put it another way, the limits of the Constitution and the limits that you see in something like the Commerce Clause um, or the limits um, put in place by the Ninth and Tenth Amendments. Um, I think we should be open to people who have a genuine disagreement about those things and we, you know, point to the evidence, make the best arguments we can. But when people justify their, their actions uh, in a religious context and they say, you know, we're doing X, Y, and Z, or we're not doing X, Y, and Z um, because God commands us to do so, or we're giving carve-outs and exemptions to people because God, um, mm-hmm. because religion occupies a special place in American politics for some reason. Um, that's where things get hairy and where they get really dangerous. It's why, you know, back in 2014, um, I advocated along with other staff at American Atheists for us to go to CPAC. Uh, the Conservative Political Action Conference, which mm-hmm. I don't know when this is going to come out, but it's actually going on right now as we rec- we record this. Um, we went there and we talked about how government giving special treatment to one particular religious belief is not small government. Um, it's it, if you actually, genuinely, honestly, earnestly believe in this stuff, um, you should be concerned that specific religious beliefs are singled out for special treatment. Mm-hmm. It's not the government protecting anyone's rights. It's the government picking and choosing winners and losers in theological arguments. Um, it's it's interesting to me that nobody from these, you know, groups that 
harp on and on about religious liberty is going to bat for uh, a, a Christian scientist employer who, you know, doesn't want to cover any insurance that covers anything, any sort of medical procedure other than prayer. Um, nobody's going to bat for them. <laughs> they're they're only going to bat and and you know filing lawsuits, uh, suing on behalf of somebody who thinks that contraception causes abortion, even though it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Nobody is going to bat for a Jehovah's Witness um, or a or anybody who opposes uh, blood transfusions. The, the, you know they they don't want their employees to have access to insurance that covers this sinful thing like blood transfusions. That's interesting to me, and uh, and mm-hmm. uh, I, you know we've what we've done in this country is conflate religious freedom with uh, particular views on sexuality and, and particular views on the role of women uh, in American life, and that's a really dangerous thing. And so I think there are honest conversations to be had and, and disagreements to be had um, about those things about the role of uh, the role that government plays in people's lives the limits that you see in the constitution you know looking back on the writings of the founders or the 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 legal arguments that are being made at the time or um you know textualism versus um other types of 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 um uh mm-hmm. of, of legal scholarship or, or whatever like those are those are discussions that we can and should have um but what i'm trying to do and what i think is important is divorcing religion from the conversation because you know religion is the ultimate trump card if you earnestly believe that god has mandated something there there can't be compromise there um and so you know at, at that time it made sense to go and to have those conversations in that place um what we noticed over time is that it it rapidly turned from people willing to have those discussions and engage honestly and, it, and there were you know certainly mm-hmm. some chunk of people who weren't interested in engaging honestly to something that's more akin to um, a, a philosophy of government or philosophy of governing. And I'm, I'm putting scare quotes around that uh, centered around owning the libs, right? Around, around right. triggering the SJWs or, or, or whatever, um, which is completely unproductive to me. And so, you know, I'm not going to spend my time and resources and the resources of our donors to bang our heads against a wall for four days um, while people, you know, ask why we're triggered by the sight of a government-sponsored cross um, <laughs> on public land, right? right? That's not productive. Um, and so, like, there are tons and tons of people who are uh, who have a differing view on um, on the role of government in people's lives and and what is the best way to accomplish certain policy outcomes um, and, you know, what should our communities look like and what sorts of services should our local groups provide for their members. That that conversation is completely divorced from politics. That's what do people need and how can we provide it? Um, and that's what I'm much more interested in than uh, this left versus right dichotomy uh, that sometimes is helpful, but other times is just clouding the conversation. Um, and so... Yeah. That it's a complex. It's an answer that doesn't have a, a quick answer. Um, I will say that we are very concerned about what this administration has done uh, in areas of uh, weaponizing religion, whether it be in mm-hmm. creating carve outs to allow discrimination, or whether it's singling out particular religion for particular religious groups or religious people for discrimination or differing treatment by the government. Um, obviously, we're uh, horrified at that idea. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, so we can fight against that while still having these other conversations that I think 
are completely legitimate and there's nothing wrong with. So, I mean, I guess what I was getting at was not necessarily a left versus right, uh, exclusively culture war, but I also think that there's been a kind of subversion of this within the atheist community with regard to issues like, is this just about atheism? Are we just here to protect against religious freedom? Or are we part of a larger humanistic project where we are trying to um, help a bunch of communities that we believe have been marginalized in, you know, certain kinds of, you know, that we are essentially, um, that the next step is the pursuit of that kind of social justice project that Mm -hmm. people, you know, do associate with the left right now because the right has sort of largely abandoned it. I mean, so for example, um, I noticed on Sunday at AACon, y'all are doing a community service project, which put me Mm -hmm. in mind of uh, my scouting experience, as it probably does you. And I'm curious that like, is that because you think that as atheists, we have a strong moral obligation to be out there in the community in this kind of way, as opposed to just like, you know, just proving that we can do anything that the theists can do only better? Yeah, it's it's certainly not the latter. The the former yeah. is is the way to think about it. And you know, this is not new. Um, you know, the the we called it last year the the two hands working service project uh, because it's something that Madeline Murray O'Hare, who founded American Atheists in 1963, said. Um, you know, two hands working uh, mm-hmm. can do more than a, a thousand clasped in prayer. Um, you know, but you just need to read the opening line from the the brief that she filed in the case that created American atheists, uh, Murray v. Curlett, which is the uh, school prayer case uh, that she brought um, when her son was being subjected to mandatory Bible readings and prayers in schools that was then consolidated uh, mm-hmm. into the, the the slightly more famous version that was decided in, in 1963, 1964, uh, that got rid of school prayer. Uh, or mandatory school prayer, and it was, you know, I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but it, the 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 sense of it was, you know, your petitioners are atheists. Uh, we believe that a ho- we should build a hospital instead of a church. That we should um, concern ourselves with with creating the best life here on earth rather than um, you know using mm-hmm. this as a dress rehearsal for something after. Um, that we have an obligation to create the best world around us for everyone to enjoy together like this isn't new this is central to what it means to be an atheist uh, as we define it and you know fortunately we're we have the ability since uh it is called american atheists to kind of define what we mean for ourselves by this um it you on the one considered hand, rebranding that have you so that you didn't have aa in the title anymore no i don't i, I think the <laughs> aa thing works and you okay. know people people know what an atheist is um even mm. if they even if they may have some of the details wrong, at least they know what an atheist is, as opposed to having some misinterpretation or having just no clue what it means. And so I think it's a really powerful word that that I'm mm-hmm. I'm proud that we that we use and that we have. And I think it's important for us to do that. Uh, but listen, the way that we encourage our groups to normalize being an atheist is to get out there and be involved in their communities. And, and it's not doing it because the churches do it. It's do it because we take seriously this obligation that we have uh, to, to create a better world around us because nobody else is going to do it for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we, if we take seriously what we say about, uh, you know, nobody's, uh, nobody's going to, there's no one listening to your prayers. <laughs> right. And so, you know, you better do it yourself. Um, if we take that seriously, then okay, well, let's get to work then. 
you know, we we certainly embrace humanistic values, but I'd I'd argue that they're just as much atheistic values um, as we understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in this organization and as people out in the community understand it. And I think the, 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 the assigning definitions and, you know, what do, when you say atheist, do you mean this? And if mm-hmm. you say humanist, do you mean this other thing? And ag- agnostic, whatever. People don't think about that. Um, and don't like, they don't spend uh, hours of their day concerned about that. Um, I don't know, what, some people I talk to on Twitter. Um, some people, yeah, and and some people, unless they're on Twitter, was the probably and the last of, part I of that. Mean, while we're talking about how to apportion our atheist activity time, how many hours a day would you say, on average, I should spend arguing with theists about religion or ethics on Twitter or other yeah, social I, media? <laughs> um, arguing, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I like on some level the uh, the work that. Uh, the the sort of street epistemology people do um you know i'm not exactly a practitioner of that um i'd much rather i I think it's important to have and and to have a respectful conversation with people about why they believe what they believe and to engage in that sort of discourse when you can and to do some of the heavy lifting you know for for people that don't have the bandwidth to do that if you if that's something you enjoy uh, but to look at the evidence and not just do certain things because they feel good or because, you know, anecdotally you feel like it works. Um, we're a community that says that we care about data and we care about reason. Well, the data say that uh, telling personal stories about, mm-hmm. you know, how this impacts our day-to-day life and how these, uh, how we left religion um, is impactful. And if we take seriously, again, our commitment to using data and using uh, reason um, to to advance our cause, then we should listen to that. Uh, we shouldn't just expect that pointing out biblical contradictions or that mm-hmm. pointing out hypocrisy is what's going to change people's minds. Sometimes we have to lean into the emotion of things. We have to lean into those personal stories, um, because again, Definitely. the the, <laughs> the science, the data indicate that that's what actually works and what moves people, um, yeah. and that if we can build relationships with the people around us and say, oh yeah, no, I, I'm actually an atheist. I don't go to church or anything. And um, and then they, people are forced to confront this, this discord that's in, that's in their mind of, well, wait a second. I was told that, that you were all bad people and that you wouldn't do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like you as a friend or I, I love you as a partner or, you know, I have a relationship with you and now I'm forced to confront uh, something that doesn't align with the worldview that I was taught earlier. Um, a lot of times people pick uh, the relationship because they mm-hmm. trust their own experiences. And that's what happened largely with with the LGBTQ community. And it's what happens with uh, other religious minorities that once people have familiarity with those groups, attitudes change. People become more accepting, uh, not just tolerant, but accepting. And, you know, stigma decreases. And so, that's why we encourage. That's why we encourage people to get out there and get involved in their communities. Not just, you know, we're doing a soup kitchen because we want to show that we're just as good as the church. We're doing a soup kitchen because, yeah, we want to show we're just as good as the church, but also because it's the right thing to do and because people are hungry uh, and we want to we want to relieve suffering. Um, and that's that's an important way for us to organize our lives. And that's what we encourage people to do. What we say is. If you care about it and you're an atheist, it is by definition now an atheist issue. Um, you know, American atheist is not going to take a position on, you know, uh, housing density or uh, transit or uh, any number of other issues. Um, but you should, 
um, you as an atheist should. Um, you should have your local atheist group if you're a member, uh, and you should let everybody know, hey, I'm going to this uh, this this council meeting, this town council meeting, where they're going to be talking about transit. And as a you know, as a person who is weirdly excited about transit, uh, I'm going to go testify, or I'm going to go talk about upzoning, right. or, or whatever it is. And you're gonna you never know who you're going to find uh, at the group that is like, oh yeah, I, you know, weirdly, I love that too. Let's go together. I'm and guessing we've got go. some weird transit people in our listenership. I, I'm I'm sure you do. Uh, a lot of <laughs> tops out there, maybe. Um, shout, shout out, to, <laughs> shout out to our uh, NJ Transit folks. Absolutely. Um, and but then you go there and you say, hi, I'm with you know, whatever atheist group it is. And you might see some, meet someone that organizes their activism primarily around transit, just using mm-hmm. this as the example. And they say, oh, I didn't know that atheists got involved in this. You say, well, you know, atheists are everywhere. There's atheists in every group. And you should, <laughs> we you should come hang like out. We look just like normal people. Yeah, we look, uh. <laughs> we're just like the normies. Uh, but you, sh- you should come hang out with us because we have a game night or we, you know, right. whatever it is you, you do and build those relationships. That's, that's organizing. And yeah. People, people get really hung up on, well, is this an atheist issue or are, are we staying in our lane? Are we engaging in mission creep? Well, you know, the national organizations, um, we can't, we're, we don't have a position on everything and we're never going to. But what we, we try to do at American Atheists is give people resources and training on how to do organizing and how to do whatever it is that they themselves are excited about so that they can get out in their communities and, you know, pardon the expression, spread the good word. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they can be more visible. And that's that's the way of reducing stigma. That's the way toward normalization. Um, and it, it's it's the hard, uh, slightly uh, unsexy work that has to happen um, for us to achieve normalcy and for us to achieve a certain level of acceptance uh, within communities all across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, and it just takes a long time and it takes people willing to put in that sweat equity. Uh, and again, that's the difference between, um, you know, election work and long-term organizing. Yeah. And I wanted to throw a point out that you, you, I think was a good one that you made that I often try to come back to, which is that it's not, it's not a slight against people who have religious beliefs. This is true against a lot of kinds of beliefs, but that like, there's a really good evidence that religious beliefs are driven more emotionally than argumentatively. Mm -hmm. And so that like, and that's, that's you know, um, uh, one of my favorite books, 36 Arguments for the Existence of God, has that as its sort of central thesis. And I think it does a really beautiful job of humanizing what that looks like while still sort of making us be clear about what kind of you know stuff we're, we're engaging with here. Um, yeah. So I appreciate you throwing that out there as well. Um, I, I noticed we're running, a little, we're running a little short on time. I wanted to get your thoughts real quickly on... Um, on the list of organizing activities that are ethical and data-driven, where would you put um, starting an ironic cult as a way to build a community and, um, <laughs> you know, maybe rely on some religious exemption laws down the line if things get hairy? Yeah, the, the you, you had me until the very last point there. It's it's <laughs> tough, right? Because, um, I, you know, I, I, I deeply appreciate what the folks at the Satanic Temple do, and I don't want to imply in any way that, you know, the cult language. Um, but People organize their lives and, and organize their community building around some core principle, and you have to go out on a limb sometimes and mm-hmm. say something. <laughs> it can't. It ha- you have to take a stand. You have to articulate a position um, on something, and it's okay if there are uh, there's disagreement or there are people that for for whom that just doesn't fly, and there are people that tell us at our conferences, for example. 
um, you know, if we have someone from the Satanic Temple come up and talk about what they're doing, they'll say, you know, I'm just, I just can't get into that. I don't, I, I don't like it. Uh, I just, I, I, I can't, I can't get over that. I'm not, I'm not a fan. And because we say they don't, fun. they don't like come down specifically on certain ethical questions. Um, I think it's more, um, you know, they may, they maybe don't like the aesthetic, honestly, in okay, some ways. Uh, but also, but also, yeah, I, I think that's part of it though too. Is is maybe they disagree about certain. I mean, they have a pretty things. rigorous ethical code, I would argue. It's no, very, totally. You know, human Absolutely. nature. No, no, no. I, I was going to yeah, say, I, uh, if folks are into the same kind of, they should check out Embrace the Void and our particular cult activity because we're a little bit more, I think. Um, pro moral realism than they may be in certain situations mm -hmm. but we can't really help with the aesthetic side of things sure yeah <laughs> and you know and so the way that we argue about this is uh that in, in the distinction that we'll make when we're approaching some of the the stuff that the satanic temple does is they will try to use something like rifra um mm -hmm. to create those carve outs to ensure that to, to to use that against the people that are arguing for it didn't and they get tax exempt status with it i'm pretty sure well, the tax they get tax exempt status because they meet the requirements of being okay. a church. Yeah. Uh, there are n neutral requirements about being a, a house of worship or a religious group right. um, that just aren't applicable to groups like American atheists. Um, you know, so people forget or uh, may not know that groups like the American Ethical Union uh, is classified as a religion, mm -hmm. um, and it is a secular. You know that you'll, you'll sometimes see them referred to as ethical culture or the society for ethical culture but it is a religion it's just a non-theistic humanist religion it's congregational and that so sounds on. like a bar that we could clear actually I'm gonna, yeah and and I'm gonna you know and so the way that we would argue this though or the distinction that i would make is that um we would never we american atheists would never use rifra because mm -hmm. we think it's fundamentally incompatible with our values and so mm -hmm. we are taking a value position we we don't think that religious exemptions are ever appropriate from generally applicable law and that the constitution does a completely adequate job of protecting religious freedom uh, and that raising the bar with something like rifra uh, has only served to separate uh religious groups and religious people from non-religious people and also created a gulf between uh what are viewed as sort of acceptable quote-unquote religious beliefs and weird culty religious beliefs that for some reason never seem to get protection under rifra it's only you know mm -hmm. uh mainstream christian beliefs now that seem to be getting uh protection under rifra uh or you know or it's something completely innocuous that no one really that isn't like that big of a deal uh but when it comes to imposing third-party burdens that's what rifra is being used for now is is Fair burdening enough. uh minorities or vulnerable people or children uh or women seeking health care or whoever it is and so we would never use rifra in that way um and what whereas the satanic temple might and that's you know that's the distinction that we would make. And so yeah, there's I'm still something up in the air on whether Church Void is going to use it or not. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> I mean, it, it depends, right? Like Rifra, uh, if if your if your beliefs, if your articulated beliefs are being burdened in some way, um, you know, that's when you might make that judgment. Hmm. But am I burdened? Um, yeah, are you being burdened? You know, according to Samuel Alito, uh, we just have to take your word at it. Um, okay. It, 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 we oh, can't, I can we certainly play burdened. That's easy. <laughs> Yeah, same thing with like the abortion contraception stuff. It's like, how burdened are you really when you shuffle someone off to the next state over that has more open abortion laws to 
get an abortion because mm. oops, you banned them in your own state. <laughs> it's like, I, I question the sincerity of your belief guys. <laughs> a little bit burdened. So unfortunately we're, we're just about out of time and I got to get you through the lightning round. Did you want to give any final closing thoughts to our very, very, very many atheists out there? Yeah, well, I would just say, you know, swing by convention.atheists.org, uh, come out to Arizona for our national convention. It's Easter weekend. Uh, we have a student rate that's uh, uh, very inexpensive, uh, $49. And then we have a, a no excuse needed if you're on a fixed income, if you can't afford the, the full price convention admission. Uh, we want you there, though. We want you to be able to to get in the door. We don't. We know how costly it is to travel across the country or to stay at a hotel and and do all that. So there's a ninety nine dollar uh, admission rate that literally just covers our costs for like a, a, the meal mm-hmm. and getting speakers there. Um, and we want you in the door because we want you to be able to connect with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people all throughout the country and get some training, get some some training on being a great activist. Uh, network with people who are like-minded and see what's worked for them uh, and have a really great time. We, we want you there. And so that's why we provide that lower cost, that lower price point. Um, and check it out. You know, there's some really great people who will be speaking uh, at our conference talking about the the threats we're, we're seeing in state legislatures across the country, uh, talking about community building, talking about, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how, how we navigate the 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 challenges of uh the world that we live in today um and and some really compelling speakers there so i hope people will check it out uh, it's just convention.atheists.org yeah and definitely come say hi when you're there absolutely i'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. be there and it's gonna be a lot of fun um but okay go. so we got to do our lightning round here so right. you may not be familiar folks who are not familiar folks just tuning in for the first time uh the lightning round is a list of things i will ask you those things and you will tell me if those things are real or not real okay. those are your two options you cannot real or not real there's okay. no middle ground there's no <laughs> caveating um you can certainly express any frustrations you have at the end of the test but sure. uh those are your only options so are you ready i'm ready Okay, so I have to prime you first. I have to ask, do you believe anything is real? Yes. Okay, it's an important question, trust me. <laughs> um, all right, so first things first, the external world. Real. Okay, colors. Real. Phenomenal consciousness. I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, your experiences, the, the oh, sure. something it's like to be a person, yeah. Real. Okay, free will. <sighs> Real. Mm, selves real genders real races not real species real morality real rights real knowledge real gods not real Society. Real. Numbers. Real. Fictional characters. Mm. Not real. <laughs> <laughs> Holes, as in a hole in the ground. Hole in the ground. Uh, real. Mm-hmm. Chairs. Real. Sandwiches. Not hot dogs. Uh, <laughs> real. Okay. Science. Uh, real. Natural laws. Natural laws. Mm. 
Which definition are we using? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, real. <laughs> okay. Beauty? Um, hmm. Real. Causality? Real. And then finally, I'll probably have to explain this one. Uh, dharmas? Probably oh, dharmas. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Not real. <laughs> Not real. Okay. Well done. You survived. How are you feeling? Uh, like my free will has been taken away from me in some way. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> you really you know, uh, struggled on that fictional characters one. Well, you know, so a lot of this is like, obviously we're, we're constrained by definitions, right? We're constrained mm-hmm. by what we mean by something. And if you're doing a lightning round where, you know, you're making the snap judgment about things, like, which is the whole point, um, you know, we are... Uh, constrained by the popular definition versus maybe there are like five definitions for things. Uh, and uh, you know, it's, it, it's mm-hmm. fun. Uh, but you know, the, there are certainly, you know, differences of uh, ways of interpreting things, which is, which is part of what makes that a, a fun exercise. So uh, that, that's, yeah. that's a lot of fun. I appreciate that. I had to imagine that you were going through the thought process of like, well, I said, gods aren't real and gods are fictional characters. Right. That was part of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's part of it. Yeah. Is uh, certainly my, my professional bias showing there. <laughs> sure. I understand. You've got a, you got a team that you got to promote yeah. for. I get it. So the line. Um, yeah. Well, Nick, this has been a lot of fun. Do you want to, I mean, you sort of plugged the convention already, but is there any, anything else you want to draw people's attention to y'all's Twitter handle, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, we can follow us on Twitter. Uh, it's at American Atheist. There's no S at the end there. Uh, follow us on Facebook and all Just your uh, wherever. You, yep. Yeah, exactly. Wherever you get your uh, fine social media, you can follow us there. Um, the big projects that we have coming up uh, just recently out are our State of the Secular States. We really focus on state level work. Uh, we have a network of really fantastic volunteers and activists all across the country that are committed to protecting our rights and religious equality and uh, our values uh, in their state houses. And we've created this report that analyzes uh, dozens of ways, about 40 different areas of the law across all 50 states, the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico. And you can get that report at states.atheists.org. It's a really fantastic tool that is a great way for people to look at um, how they can get involved in um, minimizing religious exemptions that put people's lives at risk. Uh, and where they can pass good laws and where they can turn back bad laws. Um, <clears throat> that's a, a, a really fantastic tool that I'm, I'm really proud of. I'm proud of our team for putting it together. Um, you can check that out on our, on our website. Again, it's just states.atheist.org or atheist.org slash states, whatever works for you. Yeah, and we'll throw it in the show notes as well. For sure. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks, Nick. This has been a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to hanging out at American Atheist Con. Awesome. Yeah, me too. It'll be uh, great to meet you in person. And uh, thank you so much for having me on, Aaron. Yeah, good luck with the rest of the prep. <laughs> Thank you so much. We we, we need it. It's hectic. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks so much. Thanks again to all our listeners, and especially to our patrons who make the show possible. I want to give a shout out to two new patrons. One is the T for Two podcast, and another is a top tier $40 a month patron who has chosen to remain anonymous, which means we can cross backed by dark money off our cult bingo card. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. And as always, I must thank our top tier patrons, our $20 tier patrons, Jude Law's Canadian accent and existence makes my pussy throb, 
volunteer this summer, learn more at campquest.org. Certainly got your money's worth on that one this week. Uh, Chad T and Jesse Urbinowitz and Brenda Goodman. And thanks to our forever and eternity top patron, Dave Maslich. Thank you all so very much. If you'd like to support the show, please leave us a five-star rating and review on your podcast app. Please follow us on Twitter at ETVpod. And if you are an eccentric billionaire or if you notice just a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you our bonus book club content. But most importantly, remember... You are the void, and the void is you.